Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 32. Sorry for the lack of episode last week, but it was fall break. Today, I'll be reading Pablo Neruda's poem, Ode to My Suit, which is included in the fourth edition of the Siegel Book of Poems, edited by Joseph Kelly. Before we get to Pablo Neruda, let's talk about last week's poem, Defining the Magic, from Charles Bukowski. This is a poem that I hadn't spent much time with before I gave it to my students, but I really enjoyed it and thought it an excellent option to explore an Ars Poetica poem when I couldn't use the Danae's Smith poem, titled My Poems, because of some of its language choices. Given that some of the students were uncomfortable with the opening line of this poem, referring to liking cold beer, I think this was a wise choice. I'm still eager to share some Danae's Smith with my students. I'll just to have to find one that isn't going to make anyone uncomfortable, or at least one that won't create discomfort because of vulgarity. Some discomfort in poetry can be expected. Before we explore the comfort students had with our current poem defining the magic, however, we should probably hear it again so that it is fresh in our memories. Here's the poem. Defining the Magic, Charles Bukowski. A good poem is like a cold beer when you need it. A good poem is like a hot turkey sandwich when you're hungry. A good poem is a gun when the mob corners you. A good poem is something that allows you to walk through the streets of death. A good poem can make death melt like hot butter. A good poem can frame agony and hang it on a wall. A good poem can let your feet touch China. A good poem can make a broken mind fly. A good poem can let you shake hands with Mozart. A good poem can let you shoot craps with the devil and win. A good poem can do almost anything. And most important, a good poem knows when to stop. Because this was a poem about poetry, it is unsurprising that most of what students said had to do exactly with what poetry is and what it isn't, at least according to this author. Overwhelmingly, students focused on the power that poetry appears to have, or, as one student put it, how truly powerful and precious poems are. For some, this power had to do with imagination, with a couple noting that in the many non-literal comparisons of what a good poem is, it appears that a poem is, as the title suggests, magical, being capable of so much. The significant number of highly improbable things a good poem can be suggests that there is something supernatural in a good poem, especially in how impossible it is for poetry to function as Bukowski describes. Along this line, a student said, A poem is a sort of hero like we've never seen before. It's capable of anything, nearly. Similarly, a student said that because a good poem can conquer something that always prevails in the end, It establishes the importance poetry has for the speaker. The importance of a good poem received a lot of attention, especially as it affects the speaker. These effects were numerous. I'm going to quote a bunch of them right now. A good poem could alleviate his regret and inner agony through a figurative picture hung on a wall. A poem can evoke emotions to power through the troubles in your life. A good poem could take someone's past trauma and put it into words that make the reader feel what they feel. A good poem could bring someone out of a mood. A good poem makes them forget their sense of being powerless. 
A good poem can make a person feel more confident, such as when the poet says, a good poem can let you shoot craps with the devil and win. A good poem can be therapy to some people and a way to cope with the human condition and how it can help a broken mind fly. A good poem can be relieving when you're in a bad spot because it's kind of like lifting weight off your shoulders. This is a lot of for a good poem to be able to do. At least a couple students criticized the poem itself for not managing to do all of these things itself. But I think this might be a little bit unfair. It never says a good poem does all of these things at once. If this were the definition of a good poem, I'm not sure there'd be any good poems. And before you get any ideas, this definitely isn't the case. Odds are pretty good. The lyrics to your favorite songs are poetry put to music. No matter what you think about the poems you're asked to read from, you know, capital P, poets, you very likely enjoy some poems. Because no poem can accomplish all of the things defining the magic suggests good poetry is capable of, it makes sense that students found particular lines that spoke to them. The comparisons in the poem are varied, from humorous to life-threatening, and students often chose a few lines to explore in greater depth. One student noted that the author uses the comparisons to illustrate what a poem can do for you, if you find the right one, and that there are different ways for poetry to satisfy readers. Another noted that by using so many metaphors and similes, the poem is itself an escape, even if it is brief, by placing the reader quickly through a number of conflicts that are also quickly resolved. One student suggested that by comparing poetry to beer and a turkey sandwich, the speaker sees a good poem as a kind of nourishment and comfort. Along this line was a student who commented that the poet compares poetry to things people enjoy because people second-guess poetry. It just isn't a common genre these days, but a good poem can make you feel relieved just in the way that these more familiar things do. Finally, on the subject of these comparisons, I'd like to point to a student who suggested that these comparisons don't actually matter in a literal sense, because they aren't real. A poem isn't meaningful in this reading because of what it can literally do, but what it can offer the mind. This, I think, is pretty hard to argue. A handful of students pointed to the final lines as being unexpected, satisfying, and even the most effective part of the poem. Even a student who didn't like the poem as a whole thought that the final line worked rather well and students built some big ideas of this poem's conclusion. One said that, while the end is kind of jarring, the poem seems to know that poems need to end to seal that world, so that they can be looked at from all angles, so that readers can see the whole picture. Another said this closing line had to do with acknowledging the limitations of poetry, that for all the good it can do, as students mentioned earlier, a Good poem knows when it can't save you anymore, and the reader has to do the work themselves. Similarly, a different student said that good poems know that the most important thing that good times do is end, because if they never ended, we would take them for granted. By ending, we appreciate what we had, and a poem knows how to end so that we are appreciative. As I often do, there are some very interesting singular reads that just don't fit into any of the categories that, that I've discussed so far, so I'd like to share some of them now. One student reached a conclusion that because the poem can do so much, we shouldn't judge it so much as experience and try to enjoy it. 
A student who might agree said that because so many of the comparisons are non-essential things like beer or a sandwich, poetry itself is also, quote, not that important, but it is one of the things that many people find to be great at the end of a long day. A couple students did something that I really enjoy. I mentioned it before, and that's talking about the structural details of the poem, with one observing that the entire poem, even the title, is lowercase. This student cleverly said that this seems to make the poem more personal, stylized to that particular poet's preferences, discarding the standard rules of writing. As a result, it makes the poem feel personal rather than factual. Having seen quite a few poems written in lowercase, I've never considered this, and it absolutely will be in my head when I see this choice in the future poems. Another student saw that the poem was written as a single sentence, as though the poem, by breaking up this single sentence into a variety of different length lines, is showing that knowledge, like a good poem, lets people break limits as a result of understanding them. Finally, one student pointed to how the poet was managing to use the language of the poem and the structure together. This student suggested a kind of play at work in the poem that says that a good poem lets you shoot craps, meaning that it lets you play a game. There is an optimism and fun here, but in the following line, it turns out that the play is with the devil, so the game is impossible. We swung away from optimism into defeat. Then the poet says a good poem lets you win at this impossible game, and suddenly poetry is an impossibly empowering thing. This kind of back and forth is clever, structural fun with the poem's meaning, and the reading and the student is just as clever on their part. Uh, for coming up with it. Very well done. Uh, for my contribution, I'd like to point to a very poem-specific term that students might not have heard of called enjambment. It's a French word, and if you want to be nice and Frenchy in your pronunciation, go and hold your nose and pronounce it enjambment. The simple definition for enjambment is when a line ends without punctuation and continues on the line below. For example, the first line of this poem opens with a good poem is like a cold beer, which is continued on the next line with, when you need it. The more accurate definition is when a line ends in the middle of a phrase, and the phrase is continued on the line below, such as in the third line, which claims, a good poem is a hot turkey. The phrase is, a hot turkey sandwich. And you must go to the next line to finish that phrase and understand what is being said. A hot turkey would be some totally other inappropriate thing. In either case, these lines and many others are enjammed, producing unfinished and broken ideas that, through the movement of the reader downward, are resolved. When considering the work my students have done in the poem as a whole, this seems to suggest that a good poem is dependent on the reader. It is incomplete until a reader arrives to give it purpose to allow it to function, to satisfy a hunger, or provide support, or connect us with giants from history. Because a poem's quality is reliant on a receptive reader, it doesn't matter if a poem is considered good or bad. What matters is whether it works or not. Even for just one person. This is part of the magic, then, that a poem can be good for one person and less so for someone else. It's Schrodinger's poem, with an outcome entirely dependent on an outside observer. Now, 
Our next poem is Ode to My Suit by Pablo Neruda. This poem is an ode, like the title says. It's a kind of lyric poem where the poet talks to or with a person or object, usually as a way of recognizing its value or importance. In this case, we have Neruda speaking to his suit, which it appears is seriously at risk of catching a bullet. This isn't some crazy hypothetical either. Pablo Neruda was a bit of a radical in his country of Chile, and when he died, there were investigations into whether or not he was poisoned so that he would be silenced. Newspapers published reports that a mysterious doctor had injected something into his heart to kill him. So as we read this poem, we should think about Neruda as a real man whose life was truly under threat. Which brings us to our secret passphrase, which is the word threat. Here's the poem. Ode to my suit. Pablo Neruda. Every morning, suit, you are waiting on a chair to be filled by my vanity, my love, my hope, my body. Still, only half awake, I leave the shower to shrug into your sleeves. My legs seek the hollow of your legs, and thus, embraced by your unfailing loyalty, I take my morning walk, work my way into my poetry. From my windows I see the things, men, women, events, and struggles, constantly shaping me, constantly confronting me, setting my hands to the task, opening my eyes, creasing my lips, and in the same way, suit, I am shaping you, poking out your elbows, wearing you threadbare, and so your life grows in the image of my own. In the wind you flap and hum as if you were my soul. In bad moments you cling to my bones, abandoned at, at nighttime darkness and dream people with their phantoms, your wings and mine. I wonder whether someday an enemy bullet will stain you with my blood, for then you would die with me, but perhaps it will be less dramatic, simple, and you will grow ill, suit, with me, with my body, and together we will be lowered into the earth. That's why every day I greet you with respect, and then you embrace me and I forget you. Because we are one being, and shall be always in the wind, through the night, the streets, and the struggle, one body. Maybe. Maybe. One day. Still. Students, be sure to use the word threat in your response. You could use it in any format or tense. Threatening, threatens, and threats are all fine as well. In addition to this word, you must also be sure that you are putting the title of the poem in quotation marks and using the forward slash in your quotes to show where line breaks are. These are now part of the scoring for this assignment, and I've included an attachment on the assignment to show you how to do this properly. There is only one stanza in this poem, so you do not need to worry about stanza breaks, and because the speaker of the poem is the poet, you can use either in your response. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, October 14th, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. Then, support that claim with quotations from the poem and commentary that explains how those quotations support your claim. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. And one more note, students... This poem was quite a bit longer than many of our other poems. Do not be afraid to write a response that focuses on just one part of the poem. You do not need to explore how the entire thing creates meaning. 
as this may require far more than a single paragraph, and your assignment only asks for the one. So, by all means, just choose a few lines to explore in your response. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeachers.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeachers. The content of this podcast is used as companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated author. Thank you for joining me for episode 32 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent. <laughs>